0: Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome to the PKN Packaging News Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Lindy Hewson, Managing Editor and Publisher of PKN Packaging News and the host of this show. Well, Lindy, it's been a while, but how are you doing?
1: High ground. It certainly has been a while and there's a good reason for that. Um, our team has been very busy putting on events down in Melbourne. Um, we had three successful events in in close succession, but that took us out of the mainstream podcast recording uh, sessions for a while. And also the other thing that's been keeping me very busy is following the, what what has been the focus in the in the mainstream media spotlight at the moment, which is the stories around um, the challenges and flaws in our plastic resource recovery systems in Australia. Now that has caused a lot of positive dialogue to come out of industry, and we have been speaking to various experts. And today we're speaking to a plastics resource recovery expert in the form of Professor Ed Kozier. He's the founder of Nexttech and the pioneer behind the groundbreaking next loop recycling system for food grade polypropylene. Ed, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you, Lindy, and uh, thank you for inviting me to have a chat with you.
1: So let's start Ed with Nexttech. Can you tell us about Nextech as an organisation, what it is that you do, and then we'll move on to some of the projects that you've been working on?
0: Well, Nextech evolved out of my sort of background, which was as as an academic in the polymer engineering area. And we had lots of skills in uh, polymer science, polymer chemistry, polymer engineering. And yet, in in my time in the university, I found that um, the recycling of plastics was not really happening at a very sophisticated level. So, uh, as I went from the university to work in the recycling industry, I started to apply scientific principles. And um, I came over to the United Kingdom in 2004 to uh, help build a recycling plant in London. And uh, this is going to be the first food grade recycling plant for the UK, and uh, soon after coming, I established the consultancy uh, we call Next Tech, and it has a focus of working only with post-consumer plastics to make them high-quality materials that will replace virgin plastics. As it turned out, uh, we ended up working not just on designing factories but also developing technologies that would help reach higher levels of performance in recycled plastics, and this covered introducing recycled pet into the uk uh, through a project sponsored by the waste and resource action program we call that rap over here and um, going on from there we worked on a whole series of innovations and one of them was food grade hdpe which resulted in every milk bottle in in britain having 30 to 40% recycled content um, 32 billion bottles have been made in that in the time and as part of that uh, extension of that work, we developed the process for making food grade polypropylene, which led to our program on Next Loop, Matt, about 10 years later, as it turns out.
1: Okay, so Next Loop has a really large number of companies that have, have become engaged as collaborators or partners. Um, tell me about who the foundation partners were and how you first got them over the line and also who's... who's a involved at the moment.
0: Okay. Um, Next Loop really was something that was born in the times of COVID when we had to not travel. So we actually thought it was a time when we could focus on a project that uh, had been bubbling along in the background, which uh, was uh, in big demand. We had lots of companies asking, can you make food-grade recycled polypropylene? And so we had actually explored the science and technology technology somewhat earlier. And when we did this work a number of years ago, there wasn't the pull for the recycled materials available. But uh, in the United Kingdom, we had a tax placed on single-use packaging that didn't have 30% recycled content. So, all of a sudden, we had much more thinking about not exporting plastics, recycling them in the UK, and now putting them into high-quality products. So, we developed the concept of NextLoop and we established uh, some foundation partners who were working with us when we developed the technology. So we had companies like Tomra as a foundation par- partner. We had Gnois, we had CCL Label, we had Mirage Inks. These are all companies who worked with us during the uh, early days of developing the technology. And we then invited uh, the universities that worked with us, like Brunel University, uh, Bangor University and then Grants University uh, to help develop the innovation work, also do life cycle analysis. And then we went out to the bigger field of the brand owners and the converters and invited them to join. And so now we have uh, 47 companies in the whole program. Um, so we have the whole supply chain. We have four virgin resin companies. These virgin resin companies make polypropylene and other materials but um, they are probably amongst the biggest companies in the world making polypropylene. So we're really pleased that they have joined uh, the the project. And we have something like 17 converters who all make plastic film, plastic sheet, plastic thermoforms, injection molded products, and we have services like in-mold label, decorators, and so on. So if you look at any aspect of the supply chain, we can do it. And and that includes recyclers as well. So we have two recyclers who will be making the uh, food grade polypropylene once it goes commercial.
1: So where are you up to now in the process, Ed?
0: Okay. So the program's been running for two years. We have hit nearly all of the deliverables that we said we would. So we've developed food grade polypropylene resin. The brand owners and converters are Using that material, they're actually making product and testing that product out for its processability, for its mechanical properties, for its food grade contact compliance. And uh, I can say that so far, every trial has been successful and uh, everyone's really pleased with the output. So the resins are made. We've developed the dossiers that will go to the food safety authorities to document that this material and this process is indeed food safe. And so we've made submissions to the US FDA and the Food Safety Authority in the United Kingdom, which is FSA, and we now have to wait for EFSA to develop its new protocol for its new regulations for plastics for food contact and we'll register as a developer of a novel process. So um, all of that work was done. We've developed the sorting technology to a very high degree So we now can put a label on a product and use that label to sort food packaging from non-food packaging. And this can be done at full speed. It can be done two tons per hour on a belt and we can get greater than 99% precision in a single step, which is a very high level of performance. So we know we can actually separate food from non-food packaging and that's never been done before on this scale and this speed and this accuracy. And we've also designed the, the plants that will make the these materials. So we've put all the unit operations together. We've done the economics, the fees, you know, the full feasibility study, the the economic payback. So all those things have been done. So in the in that program in the last two years, we've done many, many things. And I think everyone's really happy with the progress. But in the, in the stages of all of the experimentation, we discovered better ways of doing many of the steps. So we had a better washing process. We have better marker materials. We've now got uh, a better way of approaching in mold labels and getting them off. So we've got a whole range of new things that we, we know we can use to improve the process. And it's a bit like, you know, baking a cake first time you get it right. You say, well, can we just make it a little bit better? And there are many steps that we are, we want to implement next year. And so we're going to use artificial intelligence for sorting. We're going to explore new decontamination technologies. We've got new market materials coming out, which are much higher in performance. And uh, there are a range of things like that that we'll be putting into, into use. And so when we do get the final plants going, they'll be even better than we imagined at the, at the very beginning. So
1: um, I did have a question around um, the, the products that you're currently testing. What percentage of RPP is going into those products? Are you at 30% or have you tested at any higher levels?
0: Okay. So we have a particular philosophy about that and we are recommending people target 30% because that's the threshold for, for taxation. So if you have a given quantity of recycled polypropylene, the more products that reach that threshold, the more uh, relief they get from tax, so we're saying target thirty percent, and there's a very good input, very good reason why we want, might want to do that. If we have um, material at hundred percent recycled content, then the properties of that package rely totally on the quality of the recycled material and there sometimes might be a good match of, for example, the flow behaviour, the stiffness-toughness blend of, that, of our recycled material to the application. But in some cases, the application might actually demand extra things. So let's take, for example, an ice cream container that's made from polypropylene. It goes into a freezer. It has to be very tough because if it's dropped, it mustn't shatter. So in the case of materials like that, we recommend blending the materials sometimes with uh, virgin polymer or sometimes with what they call booster additives that improve the performance so that when they make the product, it's identical to virgin plastic. So we believe that if we go down the line of blending materials, we'll be able to put more recycled material into a far wider range of products rather than trying to say we should put everything at 100% into a few singular products uh, and – and have fewer products on the market with recycled content. And I have a particular philosophy here. Uh, We often think of the plastics manufacturing industry making resin and the recycling sector as two separate entities. In effect, they are the same industry. They're making plastics that should be used back into products. And what we're seeing worldwide is, in some cases, virgin resin companies buying recyclers and saying, we'll offer you virgin resin or we can have recycled resin or we'll make a blend for you. And I think that will be the trend that will go on. And in that particular case, it gives the industry reassurance that the virgin resin companies are are really committed to the circular economy. It also means they can apply their expertise in formulating the materials and they can provide the technical service and the sales right across the world as well, whereas otherwise the recyclers tend to be smaller in scale and they have limited resources to provide that sort of service. So uh, I would see this as being the major trend that will drive the recycling sector forward, especially in this case polypropylene. We're focusing on that, but I think we'll see the same happening in, in other sectors like PET where it's probably happened already.
1: Okay, so some of the things, you said you've, you've had certain learnings along the way, you've seen new ways to improve processes. Are those new things that you're discovering also applicable to other polymers like PET, for instance, and other plastics we're trying to recover?
0: In some cases, they are. So, for example, we've developed a new, uh, a new way of washing where we can remove inks from the surface of, of a plastic flake. Now, In that particular case, that can be applied to many other applications. It can be applied to high-density PET and to films. So that's something which I I know we will see more of in Australia and in Europe uh, as a general thing. Uh, Some of the things we're doing relate to the sorting of plastics, and in that case, um, while we're applying it to polypropylene, we could apply it to high-density and we could apply it to PET, but um, I believe that... It'll be applied to polypropylene first because the need is greatest there. So um, we'd have to be careful about uh, asking whether we could apply this technology right across the board. And I'll mention that plastic films are very different to rigid plastics in the recycling. And um, that's where we developed separate technology for films compared to what we call rigid packaging, where the products are a little bit thicker and also have different handling characteristics.
1: Um, the other thing I wanted to comment on was two things actually. the whole of cha- of value chain involvement is is to my understanding key to what's going to ma- what has made next loop a success to date, that you've got all players, all the stakeholders along the line involved. and also the fact that you have the plastics tax which has incentivized people or encouraged or mandated people to get their acts together and get the recycled content in, to have to buy the recycled content. Um, those are things we don't have here. What is your view on countries like Australia getting a move on and having some sort of legislation around it?
0: Well, Australia did get a big move on by legislating that it was illegal to export plastics. Now, what that did, it meant that all the plastics that were being collected in the past and then bailed up and exported to... Uh, to China, Malaysia, Thailand, and all those places, that practice had was was stopped and it's now indeed stopped. But in the, in the process of doing that, companies realised we're now going to have lots of material on our hands. So what are we going to do with it? And so they've invested in the recycling installations in Australia. So all of a sudden that government move stimulated a lot of thinking and a lot of investment. Uh, in that circular economy. Now, what hasn't happened is we haven't completed the circle just yet, not not perfectly. But there are really good examples of it happening as well. So, if we take the case of the Pact plant in Orbirudonga, that plant was um, developed by a number three organisations initially. So it was Pact as the driver and Pact make packaging, and they're a very big recycler. And then Clean Away are the collection collection company. They're the ones who collect materials and take it to the recycler. And then we have the end market users like Asahi and later uh, Coca-Cola joined in. So we had the perfect circle, the um, uh, packaging producer, we had the collector, we had the recycler, and then we had the end market again. So there's no need to worry about where you'll get your material from or who's going to buy it. That's necessary for the whole point of uh, having a circular economy. You've got to have all those elements in place. In the past, recyclers would strike out as entrepreneurs and say, we're going to build a plant and hopefully find sales. And that's typically where uh, things have collapsed and, and not uh, not gone well for them when times get tough. And so typically every seven years, a whole bunch of recyclers would fail and um, you know things would start all over again. So, Now, if we come back to the issue of a law or a tax on recycled content, it would definitely stimulate another step up uh, in the inclusion of these materials because what it does, it effectively doesn't stop you from using virgin resin, but it actually makes the virgin resin more expensive. And that means people who are in the recycling sector will say, well, we just now have got an extra incentive to invest in making high-quality recycled materials because we know we'll be able to sell everything that we make and we should be able to get a, a, a good return because the cost of virgin has just been bumped up by three or $400 a tonne. So this is really where the uh, implication of a tax can actually get things moving. But we still have to have, one, the technical capability of making high-quality materials and this is why in Nextech we've always focused on making food-grade materials because we know at that level it's a direct substitute for virgin plastics. And so that has to be, if you like, a key step in all the recycling technologies that we work on. So we have to target food-grade. If we don't, we'll be, we're searching for markets that might be already saturated with lower-priced comp- competition materials. So we have to have a matching of technologies and then appropriate uh, investments uh, in that area. And the other element that has to be there is the brand owners have to be prepared to put recycled packaging, recycled plastics back into their packaging. Now, there are cases where companies are putting uh, packaging on the market but have no desire to put recycled content back into their product. Now, that's an attitude that potentially is limiting the future scenarios for a circular economy uh, for australia
1: now when it comes to your thoughts on next loop coming to australia at the moment if you were to try to do that or obviously you have been having talks um would there be that pull through for that product
0: well first of all we do have two australian companies in next loop already so that we already have um Two significant packaging companies involved, but I, I know what you're saying, um, and the answer is we are actually looking at a next looped, next loop program in Australia, and also a next loop program in the United States. As it turns out, uh, people in the United States are very, uh, very much focused on locally grown organisations and institutions, and we've had lots of encouragement uh, to go there and do that. And I think next year will be the time when we will. We'll actually set up a, a Next Loop USA. And we've also had the same call to do a Next Loop uh, in Australia. And so uh, all, all the right steps have been taken. We've got encouragement from all the areas. But Australia is a smaller place than, uh, than Europe. And um, you would need special conditions to actually make something like Next Loop successful. But having seen how it's run from Europe, we actually know what to do to make a um, you know a, an appropriate program for them, and of course we do it Australia, New Zealand, and uh, New Zealand is also being quite proactive. In fact, New Zealand has shown a lot of insight in terms of um, recognizing their size, their industry type, and adopting uh, actions that are appropriate for a country like New Zealand, away from everywhere else, uh, um, and uh, fairly fairly small in the market size. But then Australia is a bigger uh, bigger market, but not, not as big as some of the other areas. And there is, I think, an opportunity to do something like an uh, Australasian uh, program to include uh, Asian countries. And that's something which I'd perhaps say a little bit about. Even though we have a fairly advanced economy in Australia, we should recognise that the Asian countries are very diverse when it comes to technologies. So we've seen the highest technologies in countries that we would often call developing. So in Malaysia, uh, in Vietnam, at Thailand, we've seen very modern, up-to-date recycling plants uh, in action and others planned. And so what we're seeing is um, the opportunity for, for Asia to become a, a high-quality recycler as well. And I think it would be important for Australia to equally uh, pick up the, um, the challenge to make high-quality recycled materials for itself. And the reason why I say this is we, we only make two plastics in Australia. We, we make polyethylene and polypropylene. All the rest we import. So if we start a recycling industry, we're actually creating a way of reducing our imports and increasing the local employment and activity and and productivity in our own sector from recycled materials. So, there's a big reason to invest uh, into into the recycling sector with with a big benefit to the whole industry in Australia.
1: Now, one of the technologies um, that you mentioned was around washing, cleaning of the substances. You have subsequently developed CO2 clean. Do you want to tell us about that? And you are up for an award on that potentially.
0: Yes. Uh, so just to say a little bit about our washing technology. Uh, it's something which, um, is what I might call water-based washing. Um, and we've got a particular technology where, where we can actually scrub every single flake in a very unique way to make sure all surfaces are clean. And that, that technology is starting to come out in, in some of our projects that we're working on, where we design plants. Our project on CO2 clean is quite different because we don't use water to clean the materials at all. We actually have a reactor where we put carbon dioxide into the into the reactor under temperature and pressure and we actually create what's called the supercritical state for carbon dioxide. Now, in that condition, the carbon dioxide acts like a solvent. So it actually can actually clean materials uh, extremely well, and it acts like an extraction material. And I'll, I'll give you the analogy of making decaffeinated coffee beans. The way they do that is they pass carbon supercritical carbon dioxide through the coffee beans to take out the caffeine. Well, we're doing something very similar with with the plastics. We're extracting any potential contaminants from the plastic using supercritical CO2. And that means when we take the material out of the reactor It's completely dry. It's completely clean. All the contaminants have gone off with the carbon dioxide. And, of course, it means we have a low energy process. Uh, In our technique, we actually recycle the carbon dioxide uh, over and over again after a cleaning step, which is very, very simple. So we have great um, promise for this technology. And um, because it's so unique, um, we have been nominated to bid for the Alliance Prize, which is about creating a circular pathway for post-consumer flexible films. And um, we're going to New York to present our case to the Alliance to End Plastic Waste on that uh, next week, as it turns out. So that'll be very exciting.
1: So what does that involve? Do you have to do a pitch?
0: Yes, so we're going to be pitching in front of um, a room full of experts in plastics. There will also be the very big packaging companies, uh, investors will all be there and it's being held in the New York Stock Exchange. But we're told that we can't ring the bell even if we win. But uh, So uh, we have to be uh, a little bit reserved.
1: <laughs> that prize money, $3 US dollars, what will you use it for?
0: We'd love to say, you know, maybe something extravagant uh, and so on. But no, the prize money is all about building a commercial plant. And so, we have to allocate the funds to, first of all, building a team of people who can actually design and run the commercial plant. And so uh, the next steps will be to conduct all of the uh, design work on a commercial plant and then uh, purchase the equipment, commission the plant, and then start to run it, running demonstration trials on it. And um, $3 million, when you start to do something like that, Actually, won't go all that far. Uh, that's only part of the budget. The balance will come from uh, investors to actually do this. But three million will actually de-risk the project, and it will make it easier for us to build the plant in a short period of time, demonstrating it to other areas. And of course, what we'll be doing then is setting the template for commercial operations in any part of the world. And Plastic films are used universally in every every big city. You'll see lots and lots of plastic film. And if we create a food grade material in a small modular operation, that can go back to food grade operations again. So we hope that, uh, that the process we're developing becomes uh, a basis for the circular economy for flexible films, which so far has been absent. So, It'll be a unique first to make food-grade flexible films and it also create that circular economy in the mechanical recycling area. And uh, this is particularly a low-carbon footprint process. So we're very excited to have that potential opportunity to, do, to deliver this solution to the plastics processing industry and also the, the cities and communities that are struggling with the problem of what do we do with these plastics.
1: Well, as you are well aware, and you and I have had several discussions around what has happened here with our red cycle um, collection program, which has had to go on pause because of a lack of recycling infrastructure. Um, and also that problem that you talk about there, the, the fact that, um, you know, with, we need a mechanical recycling solution because with chemical recycling, it's a lot trickier to get the volumes through, am I correct?
0: Um, Chemical recycling, once it's scaled up, will be able to consume significant quantities, but uh, there will be questions about the yield and there will be questions about the carbon footprint because mechanical recycling is more efficient. So, if we take the case of the Red Cycle program, I think we should not say it's been a failure. I think we should be saying it's a big success in the collection program because they've been overwhelmed by the return of people and that's what it was set up to do. So- They've been wildly successful what's not happened is it hasn't been matched by finding markets for the finished material and the, the companies involved in the offtake have been helpful but you know they're constrained by who's going to buy the finished products now what I would have been advising red cycle to do not now but a long time ago to have a program of product development where you can actually convert this material back into a range of products now Post-consumer films are problematic because they're mixtures of many materials, but we've actually worked in this field for quite some time and have successfully made mixtures of polyolefins and turned them into building materials. Now, that's what I'd be advising um, this group to do. There are many applications for polymer-based building materials which can be used in Both the building of domestic houses, but also in, in offices and, and buildings and, and farms where these materials will substitute for wood. Now, right now there's a shortage of building materials. If you go and try and buy timber, it's become very expensive and has to come typically from a long way. So we actually could create a, an industry based on polymer composites using uh, products from what we might call the waste stream, but I call it the, uh, the the resource stream. And in projects that we've implemented in the United Kingdom, we indeed have made very successful products from, from a wide range of materials that look and perform exactly like um, the competitive wood products. And so, um, you know, flooring, decking, um, not just benches, but here we're talking about uh, wet areas in houses, uh, one of the classic areas are bathrooms and kitchens where uh, often small amount of water or or first incidence of flooding causes everything to be damaged and of course Australia knows all about flooding at the moment and so if we had water resistant timbers then we'd be able to minimize the the damage that's caused when we get you know, uh, occasional flooding now those those materials themselves can act as can be used as portable flood barriers at the moment we use very expensive uh, either metal or very heavy concrete uh, barriers for for flooding, but we could could develop a series of plastic-based flood barriers for use for emergency flood barrier sort of situations. And there are a whole range of things like that. So if we put our minds to developing these materials, we could readily have a stock of finished products that could be used to uh, create the market for for these flexible films and it wouldn't be a project that would just try to create a, a you know a hole for for these materials but r- create real and necessary end markets for these products and the challenge is of course to get approvals to do the development and it takes those things take a couple of years so this development program should have started, with RedCycle a little while ago. And I guess they probably thought, well, things will work out. Um, maybe maybe uh, we'll find new capacity here and there. Um, and then they were embarrassed by the, the higher rates of collection. So my feeling is it's something that needs to be picked up um, by the organisations that can actually play a role. And we shouldn't ignore the companies that make packaging. So we have very big film producers making materials they have a role to play uh, in recycling materials into various products. And um, we also have the role of uh, local government and state government in approving the use of these materials in various applications, especially in the building sector. And that will then open up the opportunities for recycled plastics in a, in a much bigger way. And you know, I know that um, a lot of the government instrumentalities are very slow to approve some of these uh, newer materials. So uh, if the government puts mind to say, well, let's let's try and be proactive in this area, they may be able to create those markets fairly quickly and those markets can be very substantial as well.
1: I'm hopeful um, that following the fracas that there has been in the media um, it, and shining the spotlight on the problem, there have been a series of high-level conversations with government, with APCO um, and with people who are able to pitch in and help people in the value chain. And I'm hopeful that it won't drag its heels, that we can quickly resume the collection because I'm Fearful of consumers losing confidence in that collection program, which was, as you said, um, embarrassingly successful. <laughs> you know, it, it is an unfortunate situation, but hopefully we can move forward quickly. So, I feel having spoken to you here, Ed, and with all your ideas and all your technologies that you've brought to markets or brought to almost commercialization, quite optimistic about a circular economy for plastics going forward. As a last word now from you, what is your view on the next couple of years and further down the track for circular plastics?
0: Okay, so we're at a really critical point because we're starting to see important technologies emerge that would potentially fill the bill of, of creating a circular destination of plastics. So what I hope will happen is companies that make products have in their mind that the product they're making in all of its aspects, in terms of its colour, its design, its uh, composition, the labels and the glues they use, that those aspects are taken into account when they actually put it onto a supermarket shelf because they have to imagine that that product will come back and and reappear on the shelf and, and in the format that they really want it to be. Now, that would make the life of the recycler so much easier and it would also then invest uh, those principles deeply in the minds of the, the, the um, brand owners and the product makers. So that's what I hope will happen. Uh, and if that does happen, then we actually can create a true circular market because we can't leave the job to recyclers and we can't leave it to the supermarkets because they're really caught in the middle. So it really has to happen at the design. And um, if we start that happening and then we have the brand owners putting recycled content into plastics at the level of 20 30 40%. We will then have a viable circular economy. And I, and I say that we have to start with small steps because the small steps are easy. If you try to go to 100%, you're doing two things. You're, first of all, restricting the scope of supply of that material, but you're also making meeting the product specifications more challenging. So... I think that the brand owners could know, make the task a bit easier and tell consumers we're putting all of our recycled plastics in all of our products, but only at 20%, 30 40% in that way. And not trying to showcase and say, look, we've done 100% and the, our competitor is only at 30%. 130 doesn't necessarily mean it's, they're better. They're both trying to do the same thing.
1: Well, Ed, thank you so much for joining us. I think the plastics packaging industry has a great deal to thank you for. Your contribution has been tremendous and I'm so looking forward to hearing some positive news coming out of New York. All the best for that competition. Thanks a lot.
0: Thank you, Ed. Thanks, Lindy. And of course, thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget, if you enjoyed what you've heard, you can tell a colleague about us so they too can benefit from the show. We'll be back in the not too distant future with another informative discussion. But until then, have a great day. The PKN podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa
1: Media Podcast.
0: Southern Skies Media.